0: Welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. We're also proud members of the Biblical and Reformed Network. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do so several ways. One, you can leave us a comment and share our podcast on your social media. Two, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And three, you can follow the link in our show notes to find all of the other ways that you can support us and connect with us. Then two men will be left in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Matthew 24, 36 through 44. Well, hello and welcome everybody. I'm Andrew. And I'm Matt. And this is the Locust and Honey Podcast, episode number 37. And we are going to discuss, is this the end? Part two. Yeah, last day's question mark. Last day's question mark. Part, part two. two. I think I, I may have butchered a little bit of that passage there, but I'm sure we'll be going through it in further detail. So
1: Yeah.
0: Um, oh, you did good. Good job reading, Andrew. Thank you. I'm so glad I can read. <laughs> <Me too>. um, <laughs> um Well. Well. I suppose we should get this thing kicked off right. All right. And the only right way is to affirm and deny stuff.
1: I like it. Let's start with affirmations. Good. All right. You go first. Okay.
0: I am going to affirm the Atlanta Braves. Yeah. I'm going to affirm the fact that they have played an exciting season It all comes down to the wire this weekend. They're going to play the Mets. They got three games. They have to sweep them. Have to. They have to sweep them. If they don't sweep them, they're going to lose the division. So it'll be exciting. Or it won't.
1: Mm. But don't miss church for it. That's true. (laughs) Bryson. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Yeah, man. Uh, it'll be fun to watch.
0: Yep. So I'm going to affirm that. Uh, I can't think
1: of much else. (laughs) I like it. All right. So So. my affirmation is, it starts with a, not a denial, but a, let me just affirm it. I affirm people rising to the occasion. So Mm. as we record this, Ian has been wreaking havoc in Florida last, yesterday and, last night and one of the things that you can always see when we see these natural disasters or whatever it is when these big incidents take place that um, you hear these stories of tragedy um, being in the being a police officer having been in the military or having been a police officer Um, you, you get to see a lot of people that you would think of as ordinary people doing extraordinary things when called upon. And um, so my affirmation is God has made all of us in his image. And he is kind of the pull from last week's episode. He is writing a story and all of us are characters in that story. And so he's equipped all of us to be able to do things that he wants us to do. And it's it's just, uh, it's good to see people, showing and shining the attributes of God in disasters. So, you know, what yesterday was rough, last night was rough, today's rough for the East Coast of Florida. But what you'll see in the weeks to come is a lot of people all rolling up their sleeves and getting down and dirty to to help other people out in times of need. And so I affirm that about humanity because it is displaying the glory of God. So, um that's my affirmation.
0: All right. Yeah. Are
1: you going to burp? I was about to. Don't do but it. I didn't. Our, our guests have said they don't like it when we burp on air. <laughs> they didn't say shame. that. I'm just assuming. Yeah. Um. Let's deny something.
0: All right. So I've got this tree mm. in my backyard you and do. it's dying. Well, it's dead. The basically. bush tree? No, the oh. big tree that's like falling on our fence basically. Yes. And I have had a very hard time trying to get that thing cut down because our it's rooted on our neighbor's property, but it hangs over our property. So I can cut down basically what's over our property the problem is that the whole thing is going to come down at some point. Hmm. Um, and if it does, it's still going to fall on us. (laughs) Right. It just doesn't hang over our property right now. Yeah. And so I've had to get permission from the landlord of our neighbors and, um, he has not, I've sent him a certified letter in the mail. They've sent him a certified letter in the mail and he has not responded to any of it. He lives out of state. And, um, so, with this storm coming up, I've been freaking out all week because there was a period of time where it looked like the storm was going to hit up our way, yeah. kind of like if anyone remembers Hurricane Irma, did type, the same type thing. It actually hit this area yeah. where we live very hard.
1: So, funny story about Irma. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were at Disney World when Irma hit, and so we were in Florida with no hurricane, hanging out at Disney, and then everybody back at home was Mm -hmm. hunkered down because a hurricane was blowing over them in Georgia. And I was like, well, that's kind of...
0: I evacuated Savannah, Georgia. Yeah. And I moved... Into the path. Into the path of the storm. Nice. It was... But I thought to myself, if this storm, if Ian heads up that way, that tree is not going to make it. I mean, it's just not. You're talking about... It would be a tropical depression at that point, yeah. but still, you're talking about like six to eight inches of rain, consistent winds of like 30 miles per hour, just beating on that tree for a, a day or two. I mean, I, just, right. I was like, there's no way, you know. Now, but it survived. It has survived. Ian has taken a uh, more of an easterly path. It doesn't look like it's going to hit here. Which we're thankful for, but we're also praying for the people who are in the path, um, and the people who've already been in the path. My wife, her uncle, was in the path of it. He lives in just north of Tampa, so um, you know, praying that he's okay and that his property's all right too. Yeah,
1: I think Tampa but, just got some rain.
0: Yeah, it wasn't. I think bad. it was more more. I think it was supposed to hit Tampa, yeah. and then it kind of just went down. stayed south. Yeah. My
1: dad, he just moved out of. uh Punta Gorda, yeah. Florida. And, uh, but all of this stuff is still in storage there. And so Fort Myers, Punta Gorda, you know, that whole area got, took the brunt of it. Sanibel is, uh, when, when we would go visit my dad, that was kind of our beach that we would go to, uh, me and Tiff when we went on our honeymoon down there. And then we'd take the boys, go out to Sanibel Island. It's been cut off the the road getting out there has been completely destroyed. So um wow. I think it, it yeah, it so it, it tore up that whole area. So yeah. Um yeah. Interesting stuff. So back to my
0: denial, denying how difficult it's been to cut down this tree. Because the thing is is we've got to get it cut down. It really needs to be completely cut down before the spring because the spring you got tornado season and I mean there was like a F three tornado that just missed our house last year. Yeah. So it's a <laughs> I it's been it's been a mess. Anyway. So hopefully it gets better
1: though. You could just get a pet beaver. That's true. And then that'll take care of it. Okay. I affirm you getting a pet beaver. Okay. All right.
0: All right. I'll pitch that to Emma. Okay. Well, she'll just listen and she'll hear it yeah. and then we'll talk it's about it. It's been
1: affirmed. Yeah. All right. So my denial kind of ties will draw us into our episode. Okay. Um there has been a trend as of late, well, there's been a trend for, since I can remember, Uh, but specifically as of late, there was a trend um, that the world was going to end September 24th because of Homer Simpson. (laughs) (laughs) And and so then that started to get viral on social medias about the Simpsons predicted September 24th, 2022, (laughs) the world's (laughs) going to end, and you've got... Russia's threatening to use nukes and all this stuff. And so, like, everybody was saying the world's going to end. I've been seeing a lot of people on social media that are making these predictions. And my denial is people making these predictions that the world's about to end. Um, There's very people or Christians specifically? Yes. So, just uh, both of them. Um, there's a book by Francis Gumerlach and it's called The Day and the Hour, Christianity's Perennial, um, fascination with predicting the end of the world. So Francis, he's kind of like the world expert on history of the church from Latin texts. And he wrote this book. And so, uh, if you are one of those that, is freaking out that the world's about to end and it's causing you to lose sleep or whatever, you know. Um, go pick up that book and, and give it a read. Uh, basically what he does is he lays out the history of the church and all of these predictions that have been made. And it's things that, um, that are just like what we're hearing people make now. You know, well, Russia's about to invade... Um, and then they're going to end up invading Israel. And then you've got Gog and Magog, Iran and Russia and Gog and Magog is going to invade Israel. And, and then the Lord's going to take the church and all that, you know, um, I've been hearing that my whole life and it's, it's not happened yet. Um, but what's interesting about the book is 2,000 years ago, people were saying the same thing, um and and it was it was different different people but he kind of just lays out this history of christians having this fascination with predicting the end of the world um 1988 you had the book 88 reasons why the world's going to end in 1988 and then he made another one in 89 and then in 90 and then like 93 somewhere in there um But a a lot of people have been making that prediction, and I don't think that it's healthy for the church. In fact, I think it weakens our impact on people around us. Uh, I've kind of talked about this before, but the whole idea of—which I don't think ostriches actually do this, but the idea of the ostrich putting its head in the sand— to protect itself from danger. Mm-hmm. Um, that's basically what the American church is doing. So you think about a lion's running at you and you stick your head in the sand. You're not safe and you're not making anybody else safe. You're just making yourself feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, It's kind of like wearing a mask in your car when you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not actually helping anything, but it just makes you feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Christians, we don't need to do that to feel better because our hope is in Christ. And um, so that's kind of leads us to where we're at in this part two discussion of the Olivet Discourse, last days question mark. Are we in the last days? What does the Bible say about it? What do the last days look like? And um, And I just want to make sure that what we think and what we say don't come from movies, but they come from the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people have an idea of what the the end times are going to look like based off of popular books and movies, not based off of God's truth. So uh, let's jump into this and let's start looking at it. I'm going to recap real quick. If you didn't watch the first part of this, it came out two weeks ago. Uh, it was called Last Days Part One, and— um, we just kind of did a background. We were looking at Matthew uh, 21, 22, 23, about to jump into the Olivet Discourse, uh, what's going on there. And um, so we were talking about how Jesus, he starts his earthly ministry um, with the cleansing of the temple. And then he ends his earthly ministry with a cleansing of the temple. And We talked about, too, how in um, Ezekiel um, 10 and 11, God departs the temple to the east and rests on the closest mountain, which is the Mount of Olives, and he tells Ezekiel to prophesy the destruction of the first temple. Uh, That's exactly what Christ is doing in Matthew 24 and 25. He's prophesying the destruction of the second temple. Um, He departs Jerusalem to the east, goes, rests on the Mount of Olives, and then he gives the Olivet Discourse. Um, One of the other things that we talked about, uh, Levitical law in Leviticus, it says if there's an infected house that the priest should go out and inspect the house, and if it's clean, everything's good. If there's no... Signs of infection. Uh, Leprosy is predominantly what they they would have been looking for. But um, so if somebody gets leprosy, priest goes out to the house. If it's uh, it's got signs of leprosy, then they would purify and cleanse the house. Um, Then they would come back a second time. And if there's still signs of impurity, uh, they would purify it a second time. After the second time of cleansing the house, if there's still signs of disease, then they were told to tear the house down brick by brick. Don't let any bricks stay up on another, uh, get all the wood, all the stone out of the house and destroy it, burn the wood, get rid of the brick, completely destroy it, and then build a new house. And that's what Jesus is doing with Jerusalem, um... He has cleansed the temple the first time. He's cleansed the temple the second time. There's still impurity with Old Covenant Jerusalem. And so God is now prophesying the destruction of Israel. Um, So that's where we pick up. And um, so we're going to jump in Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2. The way that I kind of see this going, Andrew, uh, I'm going to talk— and try to get all this out. But if there's things that you want to stop on or things that you want to give two cents on or expound upon or questions that you have or that you think somebody might have, uh, feel free to stop me. I'm going to be working through it. But um, yeah, feel free to stop me and expound or clarify or ask questions, anything like that. And then when we get to the end, we can work through anything that we forgot to. All right. So if you're listening, I hope that you've got pen and paper. Buckle up. We're going to jump into this. Get your Bibles out. Turn to Matthew 24. Today is going to be less of us just talking and more of us kind of looking through this and studying through this together because um, I want God's word to shape how we understand all of this. I think a lot of us have had our uh, opinions shaped, but most of them aren't consistent with God's word and so that's what we want to do we want to be consistent with God's word um, one of the things we left off on uh, last time we were talking about this is we need to compare Matthew 24 to Luke 21 um, and and so we're going to do that in just a second I'm going to read some of Matthew 24 so that we're all on the same page of what we're going to be talking about. And, uh, and then we're going to start talking about it. Uh, so Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the building of the temple, the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. and because lawlessness will be increased the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved and this gospel of the kingdom will be, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet daniel standing in the holy place then let those who are in jerusalem or let those who are in judea flee look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the son of man. Wherever the corpse is, the vultures will gather. And so I want to compare that to Luke um, chapter 21 because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the gospels, Uh, There's some things that are repeated and um, Matthew is writing to Jewish believers and Luke is writing to more Greek believers. And uh, so a lot of the things that the Jewish believers would have known and understood, um, Luke breaks it down for the Greek believers uh, so that they can understand it better. And so Luke 21 is the parallel passage to what I just read, and uh, Luke really clarifies what is meant in a lot of this. So, um, so let's see. Um, all right, so Luke 21, I'm going to start in verse 10. Then he said to them, "'Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom.'" There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence. And there will be terror and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand or how to answer. Hold on, I need to go back. Um. All right, sorry. Starting in verse 5. I'm just going to start in verse 1. All right, so Luke 21, verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she l- had to live on. And while some were speaking— That'll preach. I know. <laughs> and while some were speaking of the temple, how is... um, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the day will come when there will not be left there here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these Then he said, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilence. There will be great terror. Um, And then I'm going to skip ahead to verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountain and let those who are inside of the city depart and let those... um, Let not those who are out in the country enter it. For the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written has happened. Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against the people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs of and there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and on the earth, distress for nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is to come on the world. For the power of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And so that is the, um, the other passage, which really helps us understand all that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24. Uh, he's, he's talking about the destruction of the temple. Um, so, In verses one and two, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. So they're leaving the temple. They're going to the Mount of Olives. And as they're leaving, the the disciples are looking around at all of the great buildings that make up the temple and all of their might and glory and majesty and all of that. Um... But he answered them and he said, you see all of these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And um, so what is Jesus talking about in in that passage? He's talking about the end. Uh, is he talking about the end of the physical world? What do you think?
0: Well, I think that he is, um, he is reflecting what is taught in the law, which we read before where it's been diseased. He's gone in and he's cleansed the temple twice already as we talked about last or two weeks ago. Um, and so at this point, it is time for the temple to be ripped apart stone by stone.
1: Right. And that's what they're looking at. They're looking at the temple. They're looking at the buildings and, and then Jesus says, um, you see all these, do you not truly say to you, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Um, so he's talking about the Jewish leaders being judged and their temple being destroyed. Uh, if we're looking at Matthew 21, Matthew 22, Matthew 23, that's what he's been condemning leading up to this. Um, and so as they're leaving Jerusalem, looking at the temple, they're leaving, um, that's what he's talking about. And so that leads the disciples, when Jesus says that, that leads the disciples to ask three main questions. Uh, so as they said on Mount, the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? So after Jesus talking about him bringing judgment and destruction to Jerusalem, they ask these three questions. Um, the first question they ask is, "When will these things be?" Which things is what we need to ask. When they're saying, "What will these? When will these things be?" What are they referring to? Uh, has there been any destruction here, or any discussion? Has there been any discussion here about the end of the physical world? No, no, they've been talking about Jerusalem, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that killed the prophets, the city, you know, I sent all of these messengers to you and you, you killed them, um, all of that. And so, um, we're talking about Jerusalem here, which is God's people, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and the temple is representative of the house of Jerusalem, God's dwelling place with his people. Um, so there's been no discussion of an end to the physical world. Uh, who are the enemies? Who are the enemies before Jesus at this moment? Who are his primary enemies? The Pharisees. Yeah, it's yeah. the religious people, right? It's the religious establishment. They're the ones that have been persecuting him. Um, even at this point, it's it's not even Rome, mm-hmm. you know. And Rome crucified Christ, but they did it because Israel. Was pushing it to happen. Right. You know, uh, that's why Pilate, you know, he says, Rome I, I, wanted to keep the peace. Right. Basically. Yeah. And they were like, yeah. man, this is, Pilate said, I wash my hands of this. I find mm-hmm. no guilt in this man. I I wash my hands of this. And then Israel's claim to that was what? His blood be on our, yeah, us and our son, yeah. our daughter. Let his blood be on us and on our children. Our, yeah, yeah. Children's children. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um so his primary enemy before him at this moment, is Israel. Who has Jesus been confronting in all of these texts? The religious people. Yeah. Yeah. Jerusalem, the covenant breakers who killed God's prophets and persecuted his people. Yeah. You know? Um, so these things, when they say, uh, when will these things be? These things means God's judgment on Israel and the destruction of the temple. When they're asking him that, because he says there will not be left one stone upon another, uh, they will all be thrown down. Christ is bringing salvation, but he's also bringing judgment. And we're going to look at this too, because when we look at the prophecy of Christ's coming, there's a prophecy of salvation, but there's also a prophecy of judgment, right. you know? And so when Christ comes, he's bringing salvation and judgment. Uh, the disciples, when will these things be? When is the temple going to be destroyed and Israel uh, cast down? So they hear the temple being destroyed and immediately associate it with two things when they hear that Jesus is talking about the temple being destroyed, there's two things that they associate with that. The first thing is the coming of the son of man. And the second thing is the end of the age. And that's what sparks their, uh, their next question. Um, coming of the son of the man and end of the age. Um, and uh, so when they hear that, Hold on. I got to make sure my notes aren't out of order. They fill out of order, but they're not. It it leads them to ask these two follow-up questions. Um, Let's see. What will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And so when they hear that, they ask the two questions. um, What will be the sign of your coming, the coming of the Son of Man, and what will be the, uh, the end of the age? Uh, One thing that we need to note is the word used here in the Greek is ion, uh, what will be the sign of the end of the ion. And the word used is not cosmos. Cosmos means physical world. Uh, Ion means system, time, or order. Mm -hmm. So what will be the end of this system? What will be the end of this time? What will be the end of this order? Not what will be the end of the physical world. Um, they knew this was an end of the old, old covenant age to make room for the new covenant age. And so what will be the sign of that is, is what their question was. Um, so what we need to understand is that Jesus was not just dropped into history. He was prophesied. Uh, so what was prophesied about the coming of the Messiah? When the Messiah comes, There will be salvation and there will be judgment. He will also establish a new kingdom. Uh, In Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, what you see is the creator coming as a son and as a child. This is what a lot of people use during, um, whether you're doing Christmas or you're doing um, Advent. Uh, A lot of people read Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. But uh, what's being prophesied there, the creator uh, is going to come as a son and a child. He's going to bring a kingdom that will increase and it will never end. Uh, in Daniel chapter 2, you have four kingdoms. Um, and, and so um, I'm going to read Daniel chapter 2 because this one's really cool. Um, so Daniel chapter 2, looking at what is prophesied. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and, um, Daniel has to go and tell him what the dream means. Um, so he has the dream and there's this big statue and the statue is made up of a a bunch of different parts, um, clay, iron, bronze, and copper, I think. And as a statue is walking, it kicks this rock in the road, shatters the feet and the whole statue falls. So, uh, he is saying who can interpret the dream and Daniel chapter two, starting in verse 31, Daniel interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Here's what he says. You saw O king and behold a great image. This image mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out of... Or, sorry. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet... Of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken into pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, The king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hands he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another king inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third king of bronze, which shall rule over all of the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like the iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all things. And as you saw, the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay." And as the toes and the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mix with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king, what shall be after this? The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. And so right there, you've got these four kingdoms and Rome was the fourth kingdom. Um, who was ruling when John the Baptist entered proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Rome. The fourth kingdom. Yeah. And, and John the Baptist, his, pro- his proclamation is, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what kingdom is he talking about? He's talking about the stone that was not cut by any human hand, and that stone destroys all of the other kingdoms. And what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 2 is that kingdom will never be destroyed. It's this new kingdom. Uh, Daniel chapter 7 uh, you see God going up and giving a kingdom that will never be destroyed, right? Daniel chapter 9, same thing. Um, let's see. Let me turn. So um, so what did the um, – hold on. I got to make sure. Yeah. So uh, this is the the New Testament Christians said these things about the age that they were living in. Um, can you turn to First Corinthians chapter ten, verse eleven? All right. And I'm going to go to Hebrews nine twenty six. Hebrews nine twenty six says this. Let's see. All right. Um, so Hebrews nine twenty six says, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, just as he is, just as it is appointed for. For man to once die, after that comes judgment, Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with the sins, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so um, what, what it's saying there is he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And this is what the New Testament church said about the age that they were living in. Jesus appeared at the end of the age, not at the beginning of the age. Um, And then first Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11 says, now these things happened to them as an example,
0: but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages
1: has come. Yeah. And so that's the apostles. When the apostle, uh, the apostles thought, that they were living um, at the end of the age as well. Um, They were at the end of the Old Testament age. What you see with the coming of Christ is the end of an age. What you see with Christ prophesying the destruction of the temple is a destruction of the end of an age. Um, What you see in Daniel is the prophecy that there's going to be this end of an age and there's going to be a Messiah that comes And when he comes, he's going to destroy all of this old stuff and he's going to establish this new age. And um, so um, Galatians chapter four, verses 21 through 31, I would encourage you to go there and read it for time's sake. I'm not going to get into it today, but Galatians four, 21 through 31, Paul is in the time that the old covenant is done, but the temple still hasn't been destroyed yet. Uh, The new covenant starts at Christ's death and resurrection. Uh, And so how does Paul speak of these two covenants? I'm going to read it because it's a good passage. Galatians chapter four, verse 21 through 31 says this. Tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh while the son of the free woman was born, born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women, uh, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in, Slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother for it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor for the children of the desolate will, one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise, but just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but children of the free woman. And so Paul is speaking here of two covenants. You've got God's Old Testament covenant, which is with Israel, you've got God's new Testament covenant, which is with the church. Um, and, and so, um, to, to build on this, the book of revelation is ultimately a till of two cities. Uh, you've got the old covenant, which is the, the first city. And how is that city described? Um, so you've got the Old Covenant, which is described as a prostitute drinking the blood of the saints, riding a seven-headed, ten-horned beast, who turns on her and makes her desolate with fire. Um, that is Old Covenant Israel. They're, uh, this prostitute, Israel prostituted themselves after other gods. God multiple times says... You know, he gets on to them for whoring after other gods. And he said, you're different than other prostitutes. Uh, They do it for the money. You just do it because you love it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's old covenant Israel. Drinking the blood of the saints. They were the ones, old covenant Israel is the ones that kept persecuting and killing the prophets, you know? Um, And they're riding a seven-headed, ten-horned beast. So that's Rome. The beast is Rome. Seven heads, 10 horns, uh, seven heads. That's the seven, um, Caesars and 10 horns. Rome was known as the city on 10 hills. Um, they even on their money, they had, you know, the 10 hills of Rome. Um, but the prostitute is riding that beast until the beast turns on her, the prostitute and makes her desolate with fire. That's exactly what Rome did. Rome destroys the temple. Uh, Rome is ultimately the beast that Israel uses to kill Christ, and then Rome turns on Israel and destroys the temple and destroys Rome or destroys Israel. Then you got the new covenant, and what does the city of the new covenant look like? It's described as the bride of Christ, New Jerusalem one who invites the world to drink on the waters of life. And uh, so which age does the temple represent? The old covenant age or the new? Well, the temple represents the old covenant. Yes. Mm. The temple does not represent the Christian age. Uh, The Bible separates history into two sections, old covenant, new covenant, right? Uh, In the Old Testament, that is under the old covenant. The new Testament is the new covenant, Christ comes though, at the end of the first age. So John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet. He's prophesying the time is at hand. Uh, the Messiah is about to come and Jesus comes on the scene and, um, you know, he's doing works and doing these miracles and people are like, you are the Messiah, and he's like, "Don't tell anybody yet. The time's not at hand," mm-hmm. you know. Um, but but Jesus, at the end of his ministry, is is telling people the destruction of the temple is at hand. Uh, if we go back to Matthew twenty four, uh, and you look at a lot of times, I've heard people talk about Matthew twenty four, and they're saying, "Well, that's not talking about that people. That's talking about." The, the people at the time that see these things, that's who it's talking about. Uh, but that's not what it's saying. If you go through Matthew 24 and circle all the times it says you, uh, let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. It's like 18 that I can just see right now. Um, you see all these things, do you not? I say to you, there will not be left one stone. Uh, see that no one leads you astray. Um, see that you are not alarmed and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Uh, then they will deliver you up on, up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, um, This is talking to those people that Jesus was living with and ministering to. Mm -hmm. Um, He's telling them that the old covenant is about to be destroyed and he's about to establish a new age and a new covenant. Um, So the, the last question that the disciples asked is what is the sign of your coming? Uh, so they're talking about the second coming of Christ. What will be the sign of the second coming of Christ? And when we hear the word second coming of Christ, we automatically think of final judgment and resurrection, right? Uh, but God has come many times before in judgment. Um, this isn't just the only time that that he's come, and then the second coming, uh, but he's come many times before. Isaiah 19, it is uh, you see this prophetic hyperbole describing God's judgment on Egypt, uh, and in Isaiah 19, what it says is, um, he comes with his winnowing fork in his hand. Uh, I'm going to turn there real quick. But uh, so this is concerning Egypt. It says, behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt. Anytime you see the Lord coming on a swift cloud, that's judgment, Mm. right? Uh, That's this uh, hyperbole. It's this prophetic hyperbole. But behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the hearts of the Egyptians will melt within them. And I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians, and they will fight each against another and each against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of the Egyptians within them will be emptied out, and I will confound their counsel, and they will inquire of the idols and of the sorcerers and of the mediums and of the necromancers. And I will give over... The Egyptians into the hands of a hard master and a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord of hosts. And the waters in the sea will be dried up, and the river will be dried and parched, and its canals will become foul, and the branches of the Egyptian Nile will diminish and dry up. Reeds and rushes will rot away. There will be bare places by the Nile. And then it goes on to talk about all this stuff. But what that's talking about is uh, God's judgment on Egypt. I, I've heard people saying, you know, this is talking about the Lord's about to come. Look, there's places drying up in the, in, in Egypt right now. Mm-hmm. You know, that was to those people and they were judged by God, you know. Um, but what we see when we talk about uh, the Lord riding on a swift cloud and the um, he will stir up the Egyptians against Egyptians, uh, the Egyptians, their hearts will melt within them like the people didn't actually melt before God, uh, their hearts didn't actually melt, but God did judge Egypt harshly right mm-hmm. and a lot of what you see with God's judgment is the same thing that he's pro- proclaiming is going to happen here in Matthew 24 nation will rise up against nation there will be wars and rumors of wars the people will grow you know uh they will have these fearful hearts and you know what I mean mm-hmm. um and so when the bible talks about God's coming and his judgment, it uses this prophetic hyperbole, uh, in the old Testament and in the new Testament, Matthew chapter three, uh, it says when it's talking about the Lord coming, uh, his winnowing fork is at his hand and the ax is laid at the root. Uh, this is John the Baptist prophesying to Israel. Mm -hmm. That's what he says. His winnowing fork is in his hand and the ax is laid at the root. Who warned you to flee the wrath that is about to come? Uh, Matthew 10, 23, Jesus tells his disciples they won't even finish their mission before he came back in judgment. Um, So Matthew 10, 23, I'll just read that so you don't think I'm making it up. But uh, Matthew 10, 23 says this. It says, um, I'm going to start in 22. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns in Israel before the Son of Man comes. And so uh, what they see and what they're being told is uh, exactly what I said, that Jesus is saying that they won't finish their mission before he came back in judgment. The disciples, his followers, aren't even going to finish doing what he sent them out to do before the Son of Man comes. Uh, so Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D., and that generation did not pass away before Jesus returned in judgment to those people. Um, what is the sign of the times, and and when? What is the sign of your coming? They're not saying when is he coming back at the end of the millennium. You know mm-hmm. um, what they're saying is when are you coming back to judge these people? What is the sign of the end of the age? Um, And so uh, Matthew 16, 28 says, see the son of man coming in his kingdom. He promised some of them that they would not die until they saw his kingdom come. Uh, So read that Matthew 16, 28, Matthew 6, verses nine through 13. He had them pray for something that they would see in their lifetime. Matthew 6 is, uh, when you look at the Lord's Prayer, he's teaching the disciples how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, This is not just a prayer that we all pray, but it's Jesus teaching them, this is how you pray. Mm. And what he's teaching them to pray for, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They saw that in their lifetime. That's not something future. That's something that they saw come to pass in their lifetime. You see the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. You see the establishment of a new covenant with new Jerusalem, not those circumcised of the flesh, but those circumcised of the heart. And so um, why uh, does he tear... Oh, so uh, in Matthew 20, 26, verse 57, um, they, those that were trying, uh, those that were, this is really cool. So in in Matthew 26, verse 57, those that were trying Jesus, um, right before he was crucified. So if you guys do have your Bibles and you're trying to follow along with us, uh, turn to Matthew 26. I'm going to be looking at verse 57 here. uh, But what verse 57 says, it says, uh, let's see. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at least two came forward and said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What, what is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robe, and he said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, "He deserves death." Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, "Prophesy! Prophesy to us, you Christ! Who is it that struck you?" And so, my question here in in this passage is, why were um, Jesus says that they? Would, uh, they would see Jesus returning in judgment. And when he says that, why does Caiaphas tear his clothes and say that Jesus was blaspheming? Blasph- why was that blasphemy? Um, so what he's quoting there, when Jesus says, um, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power. And the coming and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's quoting Daniel 7, 13 through 14. And uh, and and Caiaphas knew what Daniel 7, 13 through 14 said. And here is what it says. Daniel 7, 13 through 14. Um, it says this I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. And, um, and so that is a prophecy for the Messiah. And, uh, and so Jesus is saying, um, the divine son of man who receives a kingdom that will not pass away and will draw all the nations to worship him. Um, that's why Caiaphas gets so mad when he says that, uh, he's saying, um, you will see me, you will see the coming of the son of man. And, uh, and so, um, the last thing, Acts 6 verse 11 through 15, uh, if you read that, the early church, they were telling the Jews to repent because Jesus was coming back to destroy the temple and to change the customs Moses had delivered to them. Uh, that's Stephen when when Stephen is martyred. <clears throat> um, that's why they got mad at Stephen and and uh, stoned him but that's what the early church was preaching to the Jews was to repent cuz Jesus was coming back to destroy the temple and to change the customs Mo- Moses delivered to them he's establishing this new age this new covenant with his people so um let's kind of go back and either recap on some of this or i this is we we we're at an hour but i feel like we need to kind of process through some of this. Mm -hmm. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, I think that I would encourage everybody, uh,
0: listening to re-listen, um, to a lot of this stuff. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've listened to, um, stuff like this before. Um, and, It takes me several times re-listening and actually going to the scriptures myself if you don't have a Bible at hand. But the other thing is, I think one of the things that I used to do growing up uh, was when I would read these passages, I think to myself, you know, Jesus really seems like he's talking to them, you know? Right. It really seems as if he is talking to those people. Yeah. But then you're like, well, no, it can't be because that's not right. that's not what our and pastor so, yeah. says. And I think know? to
1: clarify too, our position and what we're the reason that we're going through all of this mm-hmm. meticulous explanation, a lot of people use these passages and um, next part three, we're gonna look at Revelation. But a lot of people use these passages to say that look, we're in the last days. We're seeing these signs. We're seeing right. these things. We're in the last days. Christ is about to rapture the church. And then we're going to see the abomination abomination of desolation. We're going to see the Antichrist rise up. We're going to see the beast. We're going to see people get the mark of the beast. Um, like Russia's talking about nuclear war and you've got Iran and you've got all these things. And like we're in the last days. What scripture is consistently saying is the last days have already happened mm. in AD 70. Like they happened. We're right. not. We are now in the new covenant. Right. You know? Um, and and so um, this is not talking about us. This was written to those people. The abomination of desolation is not some future antichrist coming into a reestablished temple in Jerusalem god has cut off israel there will not be another temple we are the temple now the 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 people the church is god's dwelling place with man he mm. abides in the hearts of his people the holy spirit does you know yeah. and so our bodies are the new temple there's not a need for a physical temple anymore the church is the temple of christ You know, Mm -hmm. Um, and and so the abomination of desolation was when Rome entered the temple. uh, That's what he's talking about. When you see Judea surrounded, that's when you need to flee to the mountains. And and that's why we showed Luke and what Luke's talking about. Um, Luke is saying, listen, when you see these things, when you guys are surrounded by your enemy, flee to the mountains because the abomination of desolation is at hand. The temple is about to be destroyed. Israel is about to be consumed with the fourth, um, you know, uh, the fourth King mm-hmm. prophesied in Daniel. But what happens is that then God makes this rock, not shaped by any man. He establishes this rock and that rock becomes the the stone that the fourth king, the fourth world system, which is Rome, um, trips on and it shatters all of the kingdoms. And then that rock begins to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. The rock is the church, right? Mm -hmm. That's why Jesus said to Peter, you are the rock. On this rock, I will build my church, right? He's pulling from Daniel. He's saying on that confession that you are the Lord, right? Um, on that confession, I will build my church. Um, and, and so the church is the rock that Rome is shattered against. And um, and then he has established a new kingdom. And this new kingdom is going to be this stone that continues to grow and grow and grow. But that new kingdom brings life and peace and rivers of living water and hope and healing of the nations Mm. and justice to the nations. That new kingdom is his new covenant with his new people. It's no longer a circumcision of the flesh. Like Paul talked about, it's no longer the people we're, we're not descendants of Hagar of the slave, but um, we're descendants of Sarah of the free. Right. Right. And, uh, and that is the church. Old Testament Israel has been divorced. She's been cut off. You see that in, uh, Isaiah, what is it? 59, where he says, you know, uh, I'm going to, you see this divorce of Israel and then his people will be given a new name. That new name is, is the church. Like we are, it's new Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. That's the new name. You've got Israel that's cut off and he establishes, he's torn down all of the stones. It's been torn away. And now he builds a new temple and that new temple is the church. Yeah. So, um, and, and so I'm trying to be consistent and show you from Leviticus to Daniel to, you know, Matthew, Revelation, um, Uh, you know, go back and read all of these scriptures that I've given you, but that's, that's what scripture is consistently saying. Israel is the fig tree. It's not producing fruit. So it's, it's, it's burned down by Rome and, uh, and then Christ establishes his new covenant with the church. So, um, you know, we, we've talked about Isaiah. We've talked about Ezekiel. We've talked about Daniel. We've looked at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, revelation. Um, I said, Isaiah already, Leviticus. but, um, Leviticus, uh, I, I'm trying to be very consistent and, and show that scripture does speak to all of this. That's why Caiaphas got so mad that's why they stoned Stephen. Um, Hebrews, First Corinthians, Galatians, you know. Um well, what you? that was ominous. Mm. Um Acts six, eleven through fifteen. Like this is what scripture is pointing to. Uh what's happened is Psalm one ten. Yeah. <laughs> what's happened is people have um they've not been consistent with scripture. And mm. and uh which is why we have the denial that I had today. You know, you've got all these people saying the the end is about to come, you know. Um, are we living in the last days? Um, so the, the answer, <laughs> yeah. simply put, is uh, no, the last days were um, for those people in that time. We're living in a new ion. Right. It always seemed to me that
0: people um, almost had a, Like when I was, when I, when I, I guess what held to like the dispensational premillennialist theology or eschatology or whatever, when I held to basically the idea that the rapture is going to take place and then the church is going to go and all this, and then all this stuff's going to happen very soon. I found that it was, it was almost that people were rooting for this to happen, but not necessarily so that there was a um, fulfillment of the promises of God. It was more so, so that we could escape our present situation. And that's kind of the hard issue that I think we talked about at the beginning of the passage. Why do we believe what we believe? What are our our motives in, um, if we look at scripture and we see all that scripture is pointing to and then still deny that. Right. Why is that? You know what I mean? I think that's an important question to ask ourselves as we look through scripture. If I can't look at scripture through an unbiased lens, why is that? Yeah. You know?
1: Well, and and it's because we bring preconceived ideas to the table. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and and some people, like I said, this is a tertiary issue. It's a third-hand issue. So we can disagree on this, Mm -hmm. right? Um, The reason that I am here is because of the consistency of scripture.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Uh it it all it answers everything. Um other people have a preconceived idea of what the end should look like. Other people have a preconceived idea of what the beast is. Other people have a preconceived idea of what Armageddon's going to look like or when the the rapture's going to happen or this or that and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um They have this preconceived idea, and so when they read scripture, they have to organize it through the walls that they have put in their mind, Mm. which is, okay, here's the categories. If these are the categories— What do I do with this verse? Well, that fits in this category. That's this dispensation. Oh, that's the dispensation of law. And then there's going to be the dispensation of grace. And then we're going to go back to the dispensation of law. And then you got this and that and this and that, right? Um, So they're taking their categories and saying, okay, God, here's what your word says. Make it fit in these categories, as opposed to letting God's word be the walls, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Here's what God's word is actually saying consistently all through scripture I might have to tweak how I've understood that to be. Oh, it's not going to be like Left Behind the movie. Right. It's going to be different because God's word is being consistent. The The people, the author that wrote Left Behind had a, a faulty understanding of what God's word is saying, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so just to kind of put it in perspective, the whole dispensational movement uh it it's been around with us for about 100 years um and and it's only been the popular predominantly popular opinion for about i don't know maybe 70 80 years now maybe 100 years now since early 1900s you know you got the scofield bible um and and you have the the second great awakening and all of that and that kind of together uh pushed people because the reason the Second Great Awakening helped push this idea is that was good leverage to get people to walk an aisle and to mm-hmm. make an emotional decision. Well, God's about to come back and judge us all. Well, and then you, know? you had World War One,
0: and right. you had World War II. Yeah. It would be interesting to hear what the thoughts on, uh, so now you've got like Russia is the threat to Israel. Well, World War II, you had someone who was literally trying to exterminate the Jewish, the Jewish population Jew- of the right. earth well I yeah mean, and th- you know. that
1: book that I talked about uh, by F- Francis uh, mm-hmm. um he he goes all the way through to to current well his is through like right around 2000 mm-hmm. you know um, like y2k stuff but he covers from from the um, like 80 70 80 90 a hundred all the way to the year 2000, um, the history of the church making these predictions that the end of the world was, was now. Sure. And the end of the world being cosmos, physical world, you mm-hmm. know, not ion. Um, and, and so what we're arguing is that, and this is what we'll get into in part three, but the end of the world is an ion. God is saving his creation, which includes the world. This world's not going to be physically destroyed. It's going to be purified, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but it's not going to be physically destroyed. We will be here and God will have fellowship with us once everything is, once that, that stone fills the whole earth, right? you know, so, um, but next time we're going to look at Revelation um, part three, we're going to be looking at uh, if, if we're going to understand scripture this way. Okay. If, if the end of the age was eighty seventy, then what is the beast and right. what is the antichrist and what is the, the dragon that comes out of the ocean? You know mm-hmm. um, what is all of that stuff? Uh, what are the four horsemen? what are, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um so we'll look at that in part 3 um to to kind of help people have an understanding of revelation. Uh what about, you know, where is the um, where is the rapture in revelation? Mm-hmm. Um so while you're waiting for part 3, go ahead and find the rapture in revelation for me. See if you can find it. And when we get to part 3, we'll see if you're right. <laughs> All right. Not you, the listener. Mm. <laughs> Those of you listening, uh, while you're waiting for part three to happen, find the rapture in Revelation. All right, everybody, if you're still here, uh, this is probably our longest episode so far. And I know that there's a lot been thrown at you. So go back and listen to me ramble through all of this. Um, I, I'm trying to make a consistent argument through scripture, going through this text uh, what is being talked about here? Uh, a lot of people take these verses out of context. And so I'm just trying to be consistent with what the texts are saying. Um, so I hope that you've enjoyed this. If you have questions, please shoot them to us. Info at locustandhoney.net. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. Um, shoot us your messages. We'd love to answer them. Uh, if you have questions, um, and if not, come back next week. We're going to be diving into Revelation. Mm-hmm. Are we in the last days? Part three. Man. Have a good Lord's Day. We love you guys. And mm, bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.